I remember as a kid they used to uh, I, I was pretty proud of myself because I knew where the longest verse in the Bible was like not everybody knew that so sometimes when you went to a conference or you know when you were younger you'd try to say you know do you know where the longest verse in the Bible is and I just happened to know that and so as I got older though it became like kind of a a thing I couldn't use much anymore because everybody knew where the longest verse in the Bible was. And then uh, I remember uh, saying, hey, do you know the book in the Bible that doesn't mention God ever? I think, I don't know, which book is that? So, And I was the one, I was seemingly for a while the only one that knew that. So until uh, I, I got to be about 11 and everybody knew it. So anyway, uh, with those two things, um, I've been just kind of uh, in my own way which sometimes doesn't have like a rhyme or a reason, but in a little bit of a devotional way and just in a practical way, enjoying the book of Esther. So that's the book that has those two little facts in it. Now, looking at Esther, uh, I wanted to look at seven people in Esther. Actually, one is, has two different names, so I was going to look at that person twice. But seven people in the book of Esther that we might be able to learn something from. Now to pick a verse without, because I promised at least one person that I would be done on time, uh, I just didn't know exactly where to read, so I was going to read probably the maybe the best known passage in Esther, and that's Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. Of course, we'll refer to these events uh, prior to this. Uh, like I say, this might be the one of the one of the passages quoted possibly the most. But then Esther uh, in verse 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. This is before she's to go to the king. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Chushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So that was uh, just probably we'll refer to that a little later on. Now, Actually, the book of Esther, uh, the events of the book cover about a 10-year period. All right, so this isn't like decades or centuries or whatever the case may be. So it's about a 10-year period, which, uh, you know, kind of a, when you get to whatever age you are here, uh, unless you're 10, uh, you kind of sometimes look at life in 10-year increments. You know, you think, well, when I turn 20... Oh, then when I turned 30, uh, it was like the end of the world, but then 40 was worse than 30, and then after that, it just is, uh, you know, when it's 50, you're thinking, I hope I don't turn, you know, 60 right away. And So it's, it's, it's interesting how you, you, you kind of look at life in 10-year increments, so to speak. So this, this what we have here in Esther is 10 years, approximately, as far as the events. If you reading your Bible, we hope you do. Uh, some of the parts that are a bit laborious, uh, just read through them. And, and some of the 
what I'm referring to is that these events uh, actually take place between the 6th and the 7th chapters approximately of Ezra. So you'd say, oh, I'm reading there all the time. Or I've never read that book. But this is where Esther, the events of this 10-year period uh, approximately now, uh, would occur between the 6th and 7th chapters of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah go together. Esther's fit, fit in there in, the, in between those two chapters. So, Esther actually can be read. Uh, it's easy reading, actually. It's, uh, it's almost, uh, if you read the New York, you know, uh, the Wall Street Journal or New York Times or anything like that, and you read an article for, sometimes it's on page one and you have to go to, you know, page six or seven. Esther can be read very, uh, in, in, in a uh, very short period of time. If you haven't read it after today, just read it through. It's a, a good book just to read. A lot of, uh, like current, I think, information in it that if you could apply to yourself, you could read it after supper time before you go to bed in just ten chapters, you can read it real quick. So, with that, in chapter one, I was going to just to look at seven personalities or six personalities, one person twice. That would be, of course, Esther. She's mentioned first with her Hebrew name, Hadassah. I was going to just look at her number number two and probably look at her number five as the name of Esther. So just to give my... I figured seven is... you got to go with seven. You can't do six. So I needed to use her twice. So, uh, But different names, so you have seven people. Now, when you look at this opening chapter, we're introduced to the queen here. Uh, and her name was Vashti. Now, in the book of Esther, we have basically... I think three things running together. We have the providence of God. That means God overruling. God in control. Okay? Now that's not just that. Because we also have human responsibility. We have people that are acting uh, in uh, in their own will, making decisions for life making decisions that are going to affect other people, human responsibility. And we also have the, uh, the folly, or I would just take it the futility, in wickedness. Why you want to be as wicked as a couple of these men in this book, I think has been a question down through the, the centuries. Why? Why such kind of unparalleled, Unfocused, really, it's just almost it's blatant wickedness, uh, with no real solid reason for it. Not that to be any like I can come up with a reason for being wicked, but here in this book, you have those three things running. Now, in the first chapter, if you've read the book, I, I don't have the time to, and I, I don't intend to explain every detail. But the king was having a banquet. He invites his queen or his wife Vashti into the. Banquet, and it wasn't for just this, uh, like we would have a, a White House banquet today, and uh, Mrs. Obama would come in, and uh, you know what type of a dress is she wearing, and who designed it, and her, who does, you know, who was the hairstylist, and how wonderful, and you know she'd be a, a representative of not only the U.S. government but her husband. Well, here these, these those were these were not the intentions for inviting the queen in, Vashti, to the king's banquet. It was for the wrong reasons. So 
we all we all know if we're familiar with the uh, with the book here that she she said no I'm not coming I'm not coming to your banquet because I know that it's for things and for reasons that I am not going to be part of and this was unprecedented this never happened before in fact if you read here it's almost, it's almost and I, I don't believe that when you hear people who say you know there's a lot of humor in the Bible I'm not a, a believer in that and yet sometimes there's irony in the Bible but here it's unprecedented everybody's scrambling like what are we going to do a woman didn't listen to the commandment of a man not only a man, but the king. Never happened before. The wise men come along. What are we going to do? What if, what if, some, what if, what if this travels through the kingdom? What if this goes to you know, the outer parts of uh, the, 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 the ruling empire? What if other men hear about what this lady did? So as you're reading that, you're kind of scratching your head and going, wow, this has never happened before in, in, this, in these circumstances. But, so she says no to this. It was an unprecedented thing, and she was banished. From the not only the house of the king, and uh, we really don't hear about her really directly anymore in the book. Now, say, so what are we going to do? What's the lesson to learn from her? I think the lesson to learn for for us today is uh, at least onefold. There could be other things, but saying no. That's what she did. No one ever did it before. No one ever said no before. No one ever took a stand before her, Vashti, before the king Hazarus. Uh, not only did not anybody ever take a stand before like this, men or women. So what the king wanted her to do, she says, no, I'm not doing it. That's, there's, and she knew what was at stake. We know that she's banished. We know actually that the book of Esther takes a, another road now. But I was going to also mention that, that God, when I, when I talked about the providence of God, there's, there's, there's at least a couple of things with Vashti. She said no. Now, just to apply that, are there times where, where we all need to say, no, I'm not, I'm not either participating I'm not doing, and uh, it's no. It's all this. There's no. We really don't. Sometimes no, and I know. Sometimes I'm a cliche type of a guy, and I just wish I could kind of um, get out of that. But uh, I never say anything real deep. I just, I just kind of rely on cliches. But anyway, no. There need. No doesn't need an explanation. It's no. It's all. Walk away. Sometimes you feel like I said no and I'm glued. My feet are glued here. I got to say something else. What am I going to tell this guy? Or what am I going to tell? I got to explain my reason for no. No, you don't. Just no, no. It's not going to happen. So that's what she did. The providence of God, you'd say, oh boy, now what's going to happen? Because Vashti is the queen. Just you know, everything is going to get upset now. But we can see as we go on in the book how this no actually turn the course of, of events that different things happen just over one person saying no. Now I just want to apply that. I don't want everyone to try to fit their life into the Vashti. 
But do you see how this one person's no, this one individual who lived, although being a queen, just those words of no, how it just shifted everything. They say, well, it shifted everything kind of in a, was it a good way or a bad way, a different way? Well, whatever you want to choose. But put that, put that in, in our lives. Could your no tomorrow, or could your no of maybe some of our believers here 40 or 50 years ago or 30 years ago, could that no have just shifted even a generation? Could it have just turned everything, just that one person? Very significant. You could think just two letters in one word, one life. Come on, how much? How much can it affect things? From this lady, you could see that. From this queen, it affected a tremendous amount of things. No. Well, she did. Now, second person. This person of Esther, who the book is named after. Uh, we read here that uh, her, in verse chapter 2, verse 7, if you just want to follow a little bit, I'll just refer to a few verses. But uh, he brought her up, Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter. Now this young girl, I just want to look at circumstances in her life, all right? Just, and I want to look at it in our lives. She's a Hebrew, she has a heritage. She comes from a line that is blessed, has been blessed, and is to be blessed. She's a Hebrew or a Jew. So that's good. But now, she, as a younger person, possibly as an adolescent, teenager, as a young woman now being brought into the, the king's uh, palace, we read, she, uh, you know, she didn't have an easy time. Sometimes we look around and we, uh, just, just believe me on this, if you find it hard to believe, then I'll talk to you after the meeting, every one of us somehow think that we don't have an easy time. Now I know it's relative. Some of it could be just education, some of it could be financial, some of it could be just job. You think, you know, I, I don't have it real easy here, guy. You know, you don't know anything about it. You don't know anything about it because you have an easy time. Sometimes a person you're pointing at points to some other people and say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't really have it that easy. I, I, I've, you know, like don't point at people and say, they have it easy, I have it hard. This girl here did not have an easy time of it. And let me just compare it with, with lives here. She lost her father and her mother. She had death. She didn't have a father or mother to raise her. You say, well, no, wait a minute now, is, is, uh, just, is there anybody here? This girl had it hard. No father or mother to raise her. Circumstances were tough. She was in captivity. She was brought out of captivity. She, she knew the, the experience of being a slave, of being under the rule of, a, of another nation. And what all, that, uh, what all that was involved in that, I don't know, but she, she had it rough. So let's just take death. Anybody here that has experienced death, immediate, kind of immediate family, yeah, some hands would raise and say, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that kind of never goes away, you know, no matter who it is. You could lose a, a spouse, you could lose a, even a father or a mother early, or a, you know, a um, brother or sister. 
uh, brother Andrew was talking about this young man down there, just even a, a close friend. You know, sometimes that, that doesn't go away. It doesn't, sticks with you. And it's not easy to get through life with that type of thing. So I think my the, the point here is is that in Esther's case, she could have just, we call it throwing in the towel, giving up. Too much against me. I can't do this. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know that I never had a father and mother. You don't know. You don't know. And maybe we don't know. But this woman, this Esther, who the book is named after, is able to overcome all that. She is able to deal with it, not forget about it. Not that it didn't affect her life. In fact, I'm going to suggest that it did. That it may, that you'd say, well, the death of her father and mother made her a better person? I might suggest that, maybe. I mean, it's, it's possible. Well, uh, Mordecai come into her life. There was an influence there, so didn't have it easy. Circumstances in life. Now, just to bring it down to from Esther, from basically 400 BC till today. Uh, there's going to be things in life, and I don't care if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90. You are going to have things at every increment of your life that are going to be circumstances, that are going to be things you need to deal with. If you don't deal with them at 20 and 30, you will not deal with them at 40 and 50. I, I can almost say that uh, with a, uh, uh, not from the voice of authority, but if you don't learn to deal with things while you're young, you won't deal with things while you're, when you're older. It just doesn't like the light goes on and off here. It's possible, but you start dealing with circumstances. You start dealing with, with possible, uh, you know, strikes against you. Things that may not just be in your plans. You deal with them as a teenager, you deal with them in your 20s, you deal with them when you're a young married couple, and uh, we just think of, I'm just thinking of uh, Andrew's uh, friend here, not to refer to Andrew, but even our, our brother Duncan Beckett. Now here he gets married, and he loses his wife. You know, like, wow. That's, that's a, uh, you say, well, I, I, you know, that's, does that happen a lot? Well, it happened. What if it happened to you? What about another brother who went into the work into Mexico and he's a, as a brother-in-law to Sherry Craigle who used to live here. They lost a child. First one. See, well, I could never, I would never be able to get over that. Don't, don't be too quick on saying that because maybe and hopefully not that it would never come to anybody here that that would happen to, but maybe that will. Maybe that will be your circumstance. Maybe that will be your trial. You'd say, well, everything, little thing that happened now to me kind of fades into the background, like, oh, I got a ticket this week, and, you know, I, you know, I may cut my hours at work, and here I didn't, uh, you know, get my A, and I got a B, and, you know, maybe I just didn't run fast enough this week or lift more than I should have, and you think, well, I'm just really down. Let's deal with the big things, all right? You can't deal with these little things. You, in, in life, you're going to have to deal with bigger things. And this Esther, or Hadassah, had to deal with the big things in life, and she did when she was young. Now, 
third third person. Mordecai, just wanted to read, he uh, was in chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, I had just had him, he was sitting at the king's gate, in fact, you refer to that a number of times in the chapter, uh, chapter 5 too, he's sitting at the king's gate, you say, what's he doing there all the time, but... Um, I had just put him as a man. There's a lot of things about Mordecai. You could actually have a a meeting on just him. The thing I thought about Mordecai was that he was in the right place. He was where God wanted him, the right time, right place, right time. All right. You'd say, well, well, how do you you get that out of him? Well, in chapter two, he overhears that somebody's going to kill the king. He happens to be the guy sitting at the king's gate. He overhears these. These uh, scoundrels or these people that are what, what uh, it says in those days, chapter 2, uh, he sat at the king, king's gate. Two of the king's chamberlains, two of the closest men to the king, are going to kill him. Mordecai, I guess, a word of that or gets, uh, uh, hears that and he communicates it. Not that he goes running himself to the king, was known to Mordecai. He actually tells Esther. So, um, right place, right time. Doesn't get any credit for it though. You say, "Well, hey, I want like king here. Like, uh, can I have a, you know some gold or how about a few? How about a, a little a little uh, nest or a little room for me in your palace? Here, I just saved your life. Nothing like that now. But he's, that's a, I think I think I think a thing that we should all, no matter what age again. I I think uh, sometimes we we should uh, be an encouragement to all the believers, very every age, right place, right time. All right, he's where God wants him. All right, well, the, the, you might ask me, well, Dave, how to, and it's, it's borne out in chapter 5 and chapter 2. He's sitting at the king's gate again in chapter 5 and in chapter 2. Well, you know, how do you know that was the right place? Well, because of what, what, what we read of, what happens to this man. He was in the right place at the right time. So you'd say, well, what about me? I, that's what I want. That's what I want in my life. I want to be in the right place. I want to be. The right place, the right time for God to use me. That's what I want. Well, then I would suggest that you read a little bit about Mordecai. And read about the qualities of that man. Read about the, the devotion of that man. Read about his desires to, not only for his people, the nation, but for ultimately God. And here was a man... That you could say, I'm not, I, I guess we could all ask ourselves, am I in the right place at the right time? Am I kind of where God, you know, wants me to be? I'm not suggesting we, you know, leave our jobs or move. Definitely not move. Um, but are we in the right place at the right time? Because if you are, now here's another thing. You know, God never uses me. I don't know what the thing is about it, but I have passed out hundreds of seed sowers and I have you know, been to conferences and I have tried to talk to my friends at school and I just get beat up. No one's ever got saved when I talk to them and no one's even maybe even taken a track. So the suggestion is not that you're in, in the wrong place but when you get, when it merges when you're in the right place at the right time it'll all come together. And you know it's worth In this man, in, in this man's case, Mordecai, this one time in chapter two, if we were to say, you know, for this one time, and I'm, there, there had to have been others, but for this one time, he was in the right place at the right time. 
if it's just one time in life, just one time, where everything merged, the providence of God, the human responsibility, and if there was something about to happen or whatever, and you were there because you were prepared You don't have to look at it to be 10, 15, 20, 35, 75 times in life. It's one time. It would be all worth it. Right place, right time. Alright, now that could be for salvation. Somebody, just to be that person that they could knock on your door or call you. Hey, I need it. I need your help tonight. It could be Christian to another Christian. We don't know what goes through Christians' minds about. You know, we don't. We don't talk about maybe suicide or just a deep depression here. Maybe so much, but maybe there's somebody that needs you in the right place in the right time. You could save a life. Somebody in the assembly, a friend at school, or whatever the case may be. That you're there. You're the person. Be ready. Alright, so you say, well, when do I, like, how do I keep on, like, a, you know, some type of a 24-7 watch here, or what do I do? Uh, just, you have to be ready. Because if you're not ready, like, if Mordecai wasn't at the king's gate that day, what happens? King probably gets killed. So that's, overall, and I think what I had enjoyed probably more about this is God's providence and everything. How God just, Although not mentioned in the book, is just in control of everything. Mordecai is at the at the king's gate. He hears it. The king is the king's life is saved, and, and the book progresses. Okay, Esther is at the right place at the right time too, and uh, Vashti. It's all under the providence of God. Just one little move either way could have just the whole thing would have imploded. But God, just over those ten years, as it were, in time and history, man's history. I probably just I'll say it now, but these ten years in men's history actually have implications today. Can you believe it? Just those ten little years, you'd say, well, how could that be? Because, because of this, because God promised the seed through Abraham, that he promised that Christ would come through the line of Abraham. If this had been destroyed... You think, don't think this was satanically backed. If the Jews had been wiped out one by one, as Hazarus had given a decree to, just let's say, I don't particularly like hypotheticals, let's just say everybody, let's say things went different. We wouldn't be here today. Those ten years, we, we would not be here today. Because it would have upset God's program. For Christ to come. Now God is overall, so that's not a possibility, but we can just see where human responsibility does come in. Where God is provident and overall. That the line of the Jews, of the Hebrews, was saved through the, through the uh, instruments of these people. Okay, so I'll just take Haman here. Haman's a bad guy. I used to like to read about him because I... <laughs> he got what he got who was deserved I always you know kind of think oh that's good because I always thought if you read the book and you're reading it as a child a little bit you kind of skip around and I thought oh poor, poor Mordecai he's going to get hanged on the gallows and he's a good guy it's, uh, he's not a bad guy the other guy should get it you know and then if you read a little further you read that Haman ultimately um, ends up uh, dead because of his wicked plan. So um, I had just thought uh, he had decreed March seventh, 
was it uh, 1473? That's when it was going to all start. It was already decreed by the king that all the Jews were going to die on that day. That the provinces and all the, 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 the uh, it says in the, the, the book here in Esther that the, the riders had gone out and the posts and everybody had gone to deliver the messages that when that day come, boom, you start killing Jews. Everyone. And it said women and children and everybody dead. So Haman, Haman had made this plan, this plan to do all uh, this, this uh, these murders of the Jews. Now, this is what I had thought about this, and I hope I am not stretching this. Sometimes when you preach, you stretch a little bit, but you don't want it to stretch too much. Um, plans of the unsaved sometimes are very calculated. Sometimes they're 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 quite uh, technical. I mean, you got it down to the last. The, uns- the plans of the unsaved are usually they don't leave a stone unturned. They got it pretty well figured out. It's not something that's just arbitrary. It's not something usually the unsaved when they when they have a plan against, let's just say, the people of God, or even going back into the Book of Exodus and going ahead. Even to the Herod the king when he was killed all that were under two years old and under. It, it's, it's organized. It's something that's backed by, could we say once again, Satan. So the plans of the unsaved. Be careful. Plans of the unsaved, sometimes they involve us. The plans of the unsaved. And they're never any good. So if you're in that web of the plans of the unsaved, the plans of the lost, the plans of the wicked, you say, oh, no, not me. I'm not in any of those plans. How do you know? How do you know that? I would suggest that most of us are. To the, to the opposite of what you might be thinking, like you say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, let me think. No, I don't think I am. Well, I, I'm going to probably disagree with you. I'm going to say that you probably are in the plans of the unsaved. There's somebody, somebody in your class that has plans for you that aren't good. got to remember, I went through high school too, you know, a long time ago. There's plans that are no good. And you, uh, you know how you find out about those plans? After they're done. Say, boy, I never saw that coming. Plans of the unsaved, plans of the wicked against you. So you be careful with that. Here, Haman had plans uh, for the people of God. So our enemies' plans for us... Be careful. There are people out there that are, that would like nothing better. And for those of us that have seen it, there there is a kind of a a conquering type of uh, attitude of just you know we got them, we got them. You think it wouldn't be, but there is, there is that out there. So just be careful. Other people in the audience too is that there are people you'd say, well, that's, this is uh, supposed to be a ministry meeting. I want to be encouraged. We'll get to that. There's some other things I can encourage you with, but just to, to be aware of it, I think just to draw a principle, there are Hamans in the world. 
There are Hamans that will do nothing short, that will stop with nothing short than to destroy every Jew. And there are people in this world, you see, the people there, they don't care about it. Yes, they do. That will do everything, anything, trickery, just uh, false pretense, befriending, or really they don't want you as a friend, to destroy you, to trip you up. And in Haman's case, ultimately to kill him. So, plans of the wicked. But God, once again, God's providence is overall. That he, he actually turns it all around. Turns it all around and that Haman now is hung on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And Mordecai is elevated to uh, being in the king's palace. Just uh, in passing, it's always been, it's, I don't know what you want to call it, a Dave Zudema principle, but... I don't know if it's a good a good way to live, but things can turn around. If you win something or are successful in some part of your life, or whether it's high school, collegiate, or just in life, and everything's going just so wonderful for you, I've always been a believer. Is don't just enjoy it, but. Things can switch. Things can turn around. Uh, we only have to go to the papers or the AOL this week about some of our athletes and uh, that ended up uh, Vince Young graduated from the University of Texas. I think they won the Rose Bowl as senior year in 2006 and $26 million, seven years in the NFL. Interview him here this last week. He's not only broke, but he owes money. So you'd say, well, he was on top of the world. I mean, he was the person, you know, in the NFL. Keep humble, keep balanced, keep consistent. It's the safest way to be a Christian. That's just in passing. Now, we've already talked about Esther, but the portion I read, and maybe I'll I'll have to end with this. I have two other people uh, Haman's wife and Hazarus, but let's just end with this. Esther, that portion that I read there is that Esther prays. You know, it's the word that probably the second most, when we talk about being saved, we wonder, why can't people that are not saved understand? We try to say, well, we won't use the word believe. And we won't use the word because it might just, it seems like we've heard it too much and being believed and what does that mean and what am I going to do? And So let's use another word. So we use the word believe because that's what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're not confusing. Pray. Isn't that the same? Somehow it fits. Yeah, but just pray. Yeah, you know, pray. What does it mean? I mean, like, you know, I, you know it's just, just to just throw it out there, we do. We seem to. But we don't. Because we can see here, in Esther's case, the the portion that we read, that prayer really works. It really does. Now, do we need to be reminded of that? Yes, we do. Because you can go basically through each and every one of us, start with me if you want or end with me, is that we have things in our lives that we need to pray for, that we feel compelled to pray for, that we have prayed for, maybe we're afraid to pray for because God might say no. You ever have that feeling? Hopefully not. 
But prayer worked here. It worked to save not your job. It worked to save a nation. Now I have never prayed (laughs) and a nation was saved. She did. One person prayed. And the nation, backed by Mordecai and backed by other people, backed by others who prayed with her, the whole nation was saved. So in your case today, have you once again, like me, put prayer as being the last resort? Okay, didn't work. Let me pray for it and you fall asleep. And you think, well, you know, I was trying to pray and I fell asleep. Uh, let's try again tomorrow night. Uh, let's try to pray and then... And I don't feel good tonight. It didn't feel like I, you know, God even heard me. And it doesn't work. It doesn't seem to work for me, prayer. It works. Let's just leave it at that. That prayer works. It's always worked. It'll work till Christ comes. It'll work in your life. It'll work in my life. It always works. Can you say, oh, is there why? I've prayed and things aren't answered. I'm going to say that prayer works. It never doesn't work. So with our example here with Esther, you read it, see what happens when she prayed. And just with those personalities, we have the wife of Haman and we have the king as well. We can learn things from them. And if the brethren ever ask me to preach again, I'll maybe refer to them. Well, shall we pray? Our Father, we